When we're in dorsal vagal state, we often have pains that move around to different parts of our body. Stanley Rosenberg, author of Accessing the Healing Power of the Vagus Nerve. I'm Lauren Hubelay. I'm a health educator and gymotherapy expert. And I'm here again with my loyal co-host, Japanese acupuncturist, Megan Lim. Hi, Lauren. It's great to be with you again. Thanks to everybody tuning in. And Lauren and I are so pleased to be joined by our friend and therapist and passionate polyvagalist, Cameron Scott. Cameron, thanks for being with us again. It is wonderful to be with the two of you. It puts a big ventral vagal smile on my heart to share this time. On uh, ours too, Cameron, for sure. <laughs> So you all, I've been a great fan of cranial sacral therapy since my years in Germany. Nearly 20 years ago, I had a naturopathic physician that I worked with to restore my immunity post melanoma cancer, who prescribed weekly sessions with a local cranial sacral therapist. At the time, I, I didn't know what was happening for sure. Um, I was in a very dorsal Bagel state. <laughs> and um, she, I, I was completely unaware of the subtle but powerful changes that she was encouraging with her work in my body. When I began to, my recent dive into polyvagal theory, a dear friend and masterful cranial sacral therapist herself passed along what she called her favorite book on the vagal nerve. And this was Accessing the Healing Power of the Vagal Nerve by Stanley Rosenberg. And it shed a light for me on so many perplexing symptoms that I saw um, time and time again in my practice in Austin. So ladies, in our last episodes, we've connected heart palpitations and digestive symptoms to the nervous system. But what about wandering pain? There is so much time and effort on the side of clients and the practitioners that go into chasing wandering pain. It's simply incomprehensible. Rosenberg shares that most people believe that the pain comes from tight muscles, but often when the pain is manually alleviated in one place, another pain arises elsewhere. So, Let's open up this conversation about wandering pain and its relationship with the dorsal vagal state. And, and also any thoughts you might have on the relationship of that pain and trauma. Cameron, why don't we open up with some of your thoughts on this? I just love this topic and I will try to be succinct, but it's very exciting to me because Many moons ago, when I was struggling with my own history of complex trauma, I was deemed a psychopharm flop. So <laughs> medication, much as I have no issue with it, simply didn't agree with my system. It often exacerbated symptoms of my, my trauma history. And so the one place that truly resonated with my system was acupuncture. And initially, when I started to work with uh, a practitioner very similar to Megan's work, I found that she took my pulses. She asked me about my 
general orientation, she would set the first round of needles and then she would walk out the door. And I, she would come back in and say, well, maybe we need to try something else. And it was clear my, my system was not accepting the work. Mm-hmm. And we then started with me not walking out the door, but doing the very simple practice of zero balancing, which is under the umbrella of, of sacral cranial work. And she gently manipulated while I lay on the table with my needles. And lo and behold, long before I understood polyvagal theory, she was offering my autonomic nervous system cues of safety, which allowed my system to receive the changes in in energy and at the elemental level that it couldn't without that. And it took me out of my sympathetic and dragged out to dorsal trauma response and brought me into a wonderful place of being able to use as a regulating um, principle, the acupuncture treatments. Mm. So that is my personal history. And fast forward to having had the privilege of using polyvagal theory for the last decade or so is understanding what and how trauma affects someone's system. Trauma is when our system perceives way too much overwhelm, way too much threat, and we'll either go drop into the sympathetic mobilized fight or flight, or if that doesn't easily resolve the situation in trauma, traumatic experience, it will drop down into the dorsal vagal response. These are both adaptive survival responses. We are biologically hardwired to survive, and then we are biologically hardwired to connect. But in a moment that our system perceives it is a matter of overwhelm that is life-threatening. Everything that belongs to that wonderful ventral vagal state, wiring to our prefrontal cortex and any number of non-essential survival responses go offline. Hmm. So in the experience of trauma, we don't formulate clear, comprehensive memory because we need the aspect of the prefrontal cortex and that ventral vagal to process memory, which means in the words of Bessel van der Kolk, experience, physical, emotional, you know, all aspects of that experience is essentially shattered and gets held in those shattered pieces and different elements of our experiencing. And when we are again removed from that wonderful ventral vagal state and we, descend into the biologic of either the mobilization or the dorsal vagar, which you specifically are holding today. We don't have the governing experience of our prefrontal cortex. And all without that, experiences of pain, actual pain will arise and cannot be managed. And that's how I believe, and this is a, a, a theory of mine and, and research is coming up that that pain that was the pain is re-experienced in the body mm-hmm. and not simply an organization of muscle tightness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Cameron, that is so beautifully said. And, you know, as you just noted, the dorsal vagal, the state when we're in dorsal vagal is a mode of conservation. And so when we're, when we have a history of trauma and we're triggered in the moment or 
um, for some reason, we are um, not accessing that safety and connection of the ventral vagal state and we're in a reactive state, um, we, particularly when we drop into a dorsal state, we reallocate our internal resources. And so when we really feel a threat and we drop down into dorsal, we go into conservation because if there was a true life threat in that moment, that would save our life. So if we think about how that translates into our mind and our emotions and our body, um, it, it begins to become more clear some of these symptoms that we've been discussing. We talked a little bit about this um, conservation aspect when we talked about vertigo a few episodes mm -hmm. ago, and I think we touched on it again with heart palpitations, but through the lens of acupuncture, which Cameron so beautifully illustrated for us already, um, often when we're in an energy conservation state, the chi is pulled back into the center of the body, into the vital organs, because that is what's going to keep us alive. So everything slows and everything is conserved. And if we look at wandering pain in the body, it's really a function of chi. And through the Asian medicine lens, we talk about it as a function of um, our circulation and blood flow and the allocation of that. And through the Asian medicine lens, blood is considered a more dense form of chi. So if we're in the ultimate mode of conservation, we are not gonna be um, on our loop of continuously fortifying and reproducing our chi and allocating it to the right places. We're going to be halting that process and simply um, lowering all of our functions to the minimum required. And so what happens is that we know that physically in the body, it is our blood that nourishes us. It nourishes our muscles and softens them and gives them that nice sort of um, round um, softness. And it also nourishes our tendons and our ligaments and our joints. And so if we think about the process of slowing down our chi production and therefore slowing down our blood production and slowing down our circulation, then we can see that our, all of those areas of our body aren't going to be getting that nice um, softening, that nice nourishment that we're used to because dorsal isn't a nourishing state. It's a conserving state. Mm. And so I think that often when even, you know, Stanley Rosenberg um, describes himself as a, um, Warren, what have, is it a body, not a body worker, a body um, hmm. manual therapist. I think yeah. he calls himself a manual therapist. And so in Japanese medicine, unlike Chinese medicine, there is um, quite a bit of focus on manual therapy and touch nearly as much um, as needling work. Uh, and so uh, I often, I really resonate with Stan Stanley Rosenberg because I use my hands just as much as I use uh, needling work in my practice. And, you know, he often notes that your typical person working with the body is used to seeing pain as a function of the sympathetic state. And so the rigidity, um, but when we're in a conservation state, we're often going to um, see things look a little bit uh, weaker there's gonna be less movement, less nourishment. And so 
if we rub an area locally, hoping that that is going to resolve the problem, often you know, our experience is that it does not resolve the problem. And this produces the phenomenon that Lauren is talking about, which is this wandering pain. And what happens is that the pain wanders around because as we're moving through the states, you know, we're not, we don't have the chi at our disposal at that moment to give to the areas to soften them up or to bring some life and vitality back into them. So. You, you know, ladies, I'd like to bring an old lens that I used to use to explain this and see what parts of it might still hold true with what we know now about polyvagal theory. So I would see this often in my practice. And um, again, one of these things that seem to get worse with age. Um, and, um, but I often saw young women with this type of experience in their thirties or forties. And, um, the way I saw it at that point through the gymotherapeutic lens was, okay, this is inflammation. It's, it needs to leave the body, but we don't have full access to the resources that would help it leave the body. But I was seeing it on a very physiological level. Now, even as I'm saying these words, I, I'm, I'm hearing, okay, this actually was existing on many levels, but I would look to their kidney health. I would look to improving stool elimination. And um, what I would see is, you know, a sense of frustration and, you know, a, a sense of pain, the pain level would build up. So they would go get manual therapy and they would discover the pain was actually worse or it had um, like a um, ricochet effect almost or boomerang effect, I guess. It would leave and then come back worse or it would go somewhere else. It would go from the shoulders to the hips or to, from the hips to the knees. And um, I used to give them the um, picture for my clients of a water balloon, right? That we would squish it on one side and it would fill up on the other. And, and that we would just go back and forth with their pain this way. But I wanna bring in what we know now with polyvagal lens and fill out that picture because I don't think it was entirely wrong. And when I hear you talking about chi and having the energy to move things, Megan, and, and dorsal state being the conservative state or, or state of conservation, I think that too contributes to it. So. What do you think, Cameron, the hearing what I'm sharing, what kind of light could you shine on that or add to that bringing in the polyvagal lens? Well, I very much, and I, and I so celebrate Megan's articulateness about, you know, the, the view that she knows through her Asian medicine principles. And um, yes, because as you just said now, you know, age is not simply a factor to do with inflammation or, or our ability to respond to it and how trauma has that same thing of really taking us out of our resources. And when it is all the way down to that dorsal vagal conservation mode, we simply don't have it. And I come back to our, our friend, 
the, the tortoise, which represents understanding in that, that dorsal vagal conservation mode, that a turtle as a creature has no ability to defend itself other than totally into that conservation mode. It pulls its arms, its legs in. And, and when that wonderful creature and any of us are in that full conservation mode, all of our resources are far, far away, including our prefrontal cortexes farthest away, but all our other aspects of resource of well-being are far, far away. And one of the things that when a person is in a dorsal vagal response biologically, often even language doesn't help them regulate upward. And then the, the hierarchy having to go through sympathetic, but we don't grab our, our little friend, the tortoise and, and go, you're fine, no worries, come on. Get going. Let's 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 go. <laughs> All right, like get a grip, get a handle on it. You know that will just deepen that survival response because it is not able to even use language. And the only way we move ourselves is through the introduction of more energy. So we begin and safety cues of safety because it's a bi that dorsal vagal state is a biologic conversation survival state until there is real felt sense of safety it's going to stay in that state yeah and with the, the and not being resourced enough with as megan even the elements of good blow, blood flow that circulation that would enhance that sense of well-being simply about survival but it's painful yeah, you know, we acknowledge, you know, Stanley Rosenberg talks about this and uh, we acknowledge this in Japanese acupuncture also, which is if you don't balance the autonomic nervous system first, or you're not aware that that needs some work first, you can use your diagnostic skills and give what you think is a great treatment. And either it's not going to work, or if it, if you do see results, they're going to be very brief because think about the illustration that Cameron just gave us, that, that imagery of the turtle pulled in. And imagine that is your chi pulled in from the extremities just into your core in the lowest state of just trying to survive. And then we come along with any you know, um, supportive intervention you know, with good intentions, with gemotherapy or with acupuncture, trying to reestablish some movement so that we can um, alleviate some of this pain, at least that's our theory. And it's almost like we're tugging on, some, on the dorsal state and it's trying to contract and we're asking it to move and it's trying to contract. And I think that that um, illustrates some of that boomerang quite well. This is fantastic, ladies. You all are so brilliant and bringing such light to this. I, I, I really want to draw our listeners in because I know there are people out there listening that are suffering. They're suffering with chronic pain. And all they want, all you want to do is understand it. Where is this coming from? And um, how do I turn it off? Right? How do I turn it off? And Cameron, I, I got such a compassionate picture of you with this tortoise um, because we've all done that. And each one of us as you know, living, breathing human beings here, we've ourselves been in that shell. And, and the last thing we want is someone tugging at us, right? Yeah. And, and yet as practitioners, and I know we have a lot of practitioners to listen to, 
That's what our tendency is to do. And that's what we're taught. Mm -hmm. that, you know, um, let's, let's see if I can make something happen. But I know I have sat in the room hundreds of times with that shell across from me and going, knock, knock, knock. You know, are you in there feeling very um, unresourceful? in what to do. How do I get inside? What's the hook? And Cameron, you nailed it. It's the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Lauren, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cameron. No, no. I, I, well, I, I'll dive in simply because um, it is so rich because those of us that are trained to help often get very mobilized and, and, and we want to relieve any suffering. And here we go, we get into mobilization. And that little dorsal vagal state that's with us is hearing only the mobilization, not any of the intention. And often the best of intentions leads to that unfortunate boomerang. And, and there's not the resources to bring it with safety of organization back into that wonderful, much more resourced regulated place. And you, Lauren, I love it when on your website, you talk about that belief of we are all our own healers, but without enough of those cues of safety, can we do that? Mm. Lauren, I was going to reference a conversation that you and I have had in the past about uh, gemos in relationship to this, which is when we're in dorsal, we ask ourselves the question of what kind of friend, what kind of energy do we want to show yeah. up for us? Yeah. You know, and when we're in dorsal, often it's not the take you by the hand and show you the way energy. It's often the being with. And that is um, very similar to how Stanley Rosenberg talks about it in the book that often when he finds that um, there's a dysfunction um, with the vagus nerve at the beginning of his treatment, he quite often utilizes things that have the energy of being with. So simply, you know, bringing uh, an embodied awareness of our hand on our body or where our body meets the table, something very simple that brings us back into our body and has the energy just of showing up and witnessing um, is just that gentle energy that sometimes dorsal responds to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm laughing a bit to myself because 20 years ago, um, I had these two practitioners and one was the take me by the hand style and the other was the be with. And I, of course, in my tortoise-like state, um, I wanted to be with the be with, with what, and I had no idea what she was doing. And this was the, the one working with the craniosacral therapy. And, you know, so often there weren't even words exchanged in our sessions. It, she really was with my state and talk about cues of safety. I mean, from the moment I walked through the door into her practice, I already felt better. And I think that's a very important thing for all of our listeners to hear right now is, do you feel that way about the person you're working with? Because if you don't walk through that door with 
any and receive cues of safety, you're not going to be able to come out of that shell. And I'll even step it back through the polyvagal lens one step, Lauren, is this is why we as human beings and then as practitioners really need to be in touch with our own autonomic nervous system because so much of this is preconceptual, it's the neuroception. So if we're coming from a well-regulated ventral vagal state, we are sending those cues for safety, those invitations for well-being. Um, because the other autonomic nervous system that's walking through our door is highly operative, precognitively, neurocepting, what they're walking into. And that really, Deb used to use the term a lot, beaming benevolence. You know, it says we offer all those cues of safety for another autonomic nervous system to begin to receive. And that is the level of which their autonomic nervous system is receiving. Oh, that's beautiful, Cameron. Megan, do you have any other thoughts on this? Uh, no, I appreciate this conversation so much. I think that it's relevant to now and always. And I think that many of us are finding ourselves having a tendency to uh, feel like a tortoise at times right now uh, in our shell and, and you know, showing up for each other and talking about this and noticing and naming as Cameron guides us towards this practice of getting to know our own autonomic nervous system really is the master work um, so that we can show up for others differently. Yeah, ladies, this is such a big topic and I'm sure we could go on for um, hours on it. Um, but I think what we'll do is we'll wrap this now and Megan, the two of us can meet next week and we can talk about GMOs that we can consider for helping us out of that dorsal state, helping us um, ease out of our shell and um, so what would support those sense, the sense of safety um, to allow for that. And it's certainly good timing next week to do that. I, I want to put a plug in for something, um, listeners, and that is, um, I know you have questions. If you've been listening to these incredible conversations over these last weeks, surely there are thoughts that you ha have arisen or questions about your own situation that you would love for us to answer. And you know what? We'd love to answer them. So I'm going to invite you to email, to my email, that's lauren at laurenhubelay.com and put the word podcast question in your subject line and then let me know what your question is that you would like us to address and we'll be putting some time aside to do some recordings to address those. So, I hope this conversation has sparked some interest in our work. Um, head on over to laurenhubelay.com to find out more about gemotherapy. And if it's polyvagal theory you'd like to hear more about, check out Deb Dana's poly, uh, polyvagal exercises for safety and connection or her website, which I always forget, Cameron, it is rhythmofregulation.com. Oh, perfect. And Cameron, your website. 
is CameronScottMA.com. Perfect. And Megan, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, you can find me at AccuLamp.com. Beautiful. Wonderful. I am so honored, ladies, to have this time with you again and to have this fantastic conversation on pain. And um, I we'll send you all out with um, Deb Dana's beaming benevolence wish, because I know we all have work to do that um, helping those that we serve. So thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.